This week's Game of Thrones recap is sponsored by our friends over at True Car, who have some useful tips that you might not be aware of, like how a coffee filter and a little bit of olive oil can clean the interior of your car. You could also remove excess weight from your car to improve its gas mileage. And you can also place your keychain remote right underneath your chin to increase its range. All weird tips. Here's something that's not so weird. True Car can help you get a used car as well. That's right. True Car is not just for buying a new car with their certified dealer network and nationwide inventory of nearly 1 million used cars. You'll enjoy real pricing on actual inventory and a simpler buying experience whether you buy new or used. And with True Car, you can see what other people paid. So you'll know if you're getting a good deal before you buy. You'll also be more likely to enjoy a faster buying experience when you connect with a True Car certified dealer. So when you're ready to buy a new or used car, check out True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features are not available in all states. Winter was here, but we are just getting started with our rewatch of Game of Thrones Season 4, Episode 2, The Lion and the Rose. And now here are the two guys who can't wait to talk about the royal wedding. I'm Rob Sister here with Josh Wiggler. Josh, how are you? Oh my god, pour one out for uh, for King Joffrey, for the widowed Marjorie Terrell. Oh, it's also sad, but what incredible timing that we're talking about the Game of Thrones royal wedding in the immediate aftermath of the royal wedding. Purple Rain, <laughs> R-E-I-G-N. Yes. <laughs> Joffrey is gone. No, That's this not even is C-H-R, not yeah. I-G-N, not I-G-N. Uh, uh, yeah, that, is a, that isn't a spoiler. I mean, first of all, it happens within the context of this episode. So if you are listening to the podcast about the Lion and the Rose, I assume that you have seen these events. Though, good uh, setup, Rob, that we, uh, just as a reminder, the, this podcast, we're no longer separate in a spoiler-free and a spoiler-filled section. Every single thing that is going to happen from this point forward on Game of Thrones is fully eligible for conversation in this podcast. So get out of here if you have not caught that news just yet. Yes. Okay. So, and here we are uh, in the real time of recording this. Uh, this was the Prince Harry, Meghan Markle royal wedding. And uh, we had our own royal wedding to take a look at this weekend as well. Yeah, no, it was great. What a double feature, you know? Yeah, perfect uh, timing. It's really, really amazing. Uh, yeah. Uh, and Marjorie, she too looked incredible. And we are so lucky to be talking about this episode at such a great momentous time. Uh, the Lion and the Rose, episode two of season four. I know I haven't been talking about my episode rankings uh, too much here in the past uh, few weeks of podcasting on Winter Was Here. Uh, and I just went through them and reassorted them just to, to get everything ship shape before I made this claim. But Rob... The Lion and the Rose. I have this as the second best episode through 32 episodes of Game of Thrones. Okay, the best episode. The second best. Second the best. Second best. Blackwater still holds the title, yeah. But I have The Lion and the Rose just ahead of The Reigns of Casimir, and I don't think that I would have expected that on the rewatch. I think that this is front to back, top to bottom, a, a top-notch, incredible episode of Game of Thrones. Just really one of the very best that we ever get in this whole series. I think it's less of one self-contained masterpiece like Blackwater is, but the last you know, 25, 30 minutes is transcendent 
transcendent. And I mean, like the the red wedding sequence in the reigns of Casimir, obviously, like that's that's unforgettable television. But I think as we talked about, there's a lot of stuff in the rest of that episode that's kind of whatever. Um, whereas I think even a lot of the external stuff here in this episode, first of all, there's a bunch of scenes in King's Landing in the lead up to the wedding. So those scenes are all kind of charged, especially with Tyrion, where you know that this is going to be Tyrion's final episode as a free man in King's Landing until much later in the series. So all of that has added impact, like maybe take some issue with the brand stuff, though. Even then, I think we've got some interesting things to discuss in terms of what we know from the from the series beyond this point. Yeah, um, the like the the Bolton stuff, like some of that is, you know, those scenes are just like really dark and grim and really tightly created. But that whole final sequence, just like the, the last half hour, as you said, it's all royal wedding all the time in a way that the uh, the red wedding that really is it. We're talking about like a 10 minute movement that is just really, really spectacular here. There's just such a a sense of extravagance and so much hype, as you know, especially on the rewatch that this is going to be Joffrey Baratheon's final episode. And holy crap, do they knock it out of the park with just like giving you a final greatest hits of how awful Joffrey is. So number two on the board, it'll probably shift down as we get further in the series. Uh, But it's just so good. It's just so damn good. Okay. So let's talk through this in the order of which the events happen. And of course, uh, this works especially well here as we are going to be able to go through that royal wedding uh, piece by piece. The episode yes. opens up with the Ramsey's hunt for the other woman who was uh, making Miranda feel jealous. Who is this? Samantha, right? Uh, it's Samantha. Yes, yes. <laughs> That's why she will not be in uh, Sex in the City 3 because she's been fed to the dogs. Uh, no, Tansy. 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 <laughs> uh, Tansy Newton is in the house uh, as Ramsey and Miranda are hunting Tansy. Uh, I mean, Ramsey's going to say that it's because Tansy's been making Miranda feel jealous. This is why they had to track her down. But I got to imagine that some of it is like Ramsey can't have a Tansy around. That's too close to his mm. own name. Yeah. It turned out to be a great episode for Hungry Dogs. <laughs> yes. Hungry Dogs have a very good night on Game of Thrones here with the Lion and the Rose. Yes. Okay. And we see Theon in action and we get to see now the new subservient reek here for the first time in season four. Yeah. And I mean, like he is subservient and he's like fully on board with just like listening to whatever Ramsey has to say, just like extraordinary loyalty to this guy because he's been put through so much trauma. But even then, like it's like this is still a man who can be further traumatized as he's watching these dogs rip poor Tansy to shreds. Like the look on Alfie Allen's face as Theon, um, it's it's really spectacular and conveying just how how horrible his existence is. And He's not a complete shell of himself yet. He's just so deeply wounded and afraid of what happens if he steps out of line, has experienced enough of it himself. But to watch Ramsey and Miranda turn on one of the people who was instrumental in uh, the removal of his own instrument, uh, you know, it's it's got to be it's got to be a really you know sharp reminder of uh, just how easily he could lose everything and in such a grim way so um i also like that the that the episode starts with this scene because of course we're going to lose joffrey by the end of the episode 
But this sequence is a nice reminder that uh, even though Joffrey is going to be gone and, you know, the show never is ever really able to replace just how nuclearly terrible he is. Ramsey's pretty close. So to to have Ramsey just being like an awful, awful little, you know, uh, true bastard here in the north. It's just it's a nice retroactive reminder that even though Joffrey is gone, you still have someone who is just so loathsome uh, to, to root against here still in Game of Thrones. Now, the show is still having fun with these transitions where we go from a shot of Reek, again, close up on a, another sausage, and we end up yes. going to Tyrion's breakfast table. That's another reason why I really loved this episode. It was like, there's a lot of great moments like that. Uh, just like the way that shots bleed into each other and scene cuts to scene. And that one was especially amazing where, yeah, it's, you know, it's everything that's going on. I think the camera's on Theon's face and, uh, we cut straight to breakfast sausage with what's going on at King's Landing with Jamie and Tyrion. Just like the construction of this episode. It's, it's really masterful. Yeah. And so we see Tyrion and Jamie bonding for the, first time since early in our first season and they are talking about how Jamie is back and you know stop feeling sorry for yourself so what you lost a hand you gotta eat gotta eat I like how uh, Jamie knocks over some wine by accident and then Tyrion just like to make Jamie feel better he pours some wine out on purpose and of course that's also just retroactively Book amazing ends. in the con- yeah in the context like shattered bookends in the in the context of this episode with Tyrion getting so much wine poured on him uh, just yeah again just the circularity here is, is really incredible yeah and so Jamie is also lamenting his sword hand is gone and he needs to learn how to hold a sword with the left hand if he's going to still be in the king's guard so Tyrion hooks jamie up with brawn and this is going to be the beginning of jamie's brawn mance Yes. Uh, and, and it's great. It's great to go back and now to finally have this dynamic on the show for us to talk about as we're, as we're crawling through because the Jamie and Braun relationship, it's going to be, uh, you know, it, it's going to be a, a part of the show for, I mean, I think if you look at the, at the, at the show episode by episode, pound for pound, I think like they're going to have even more to do with each other than Tyrion and Braun have had to do with each other. I know, uh, in the interview that I did with Jerome Flynn for season seven, I asked him, you know, if he has a preference in the Lannister brothers if he thinks Bronn does. And he thinks that Bronn is a Tyrion guy at heart, ultimately. But I think that the Bronn and Jamie friendship is a really great one as well. And it's like the only thing that's going to make their storyline in season five palatable is the fact that these two, these actors have such great chemistry with each other. Because otherwise, everything in Dorne is rivaling Karth for the worst stuff in Game of Thrones history. Yeah. So we see Jamie and Braun go out to do some sword practice. Uh, we find out that this is a very secretive location, very soundproof location from Braun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No screams will be heard in space. No one can hear you scream. And in this space, no one can hear the Lord's wife scream either. You know what's something that does not exist in Westeros, Josh? What's that? There is no sword play teacher, fencing instructor, whatever you want to call it, that is sort of like a uh, nurturing type. Every single person that teaches you how to use a sword is kind of an a-hole about it. Yeah, I think, you know, Serial Pharrell starts that way. 
But I think, like, eventually, like, he, like, has sort of, like, this romantic way of talking about water dancing and, you know, how, like, you're one with the sword. And there's such poetry to the way that he teaches Arya and the way that he sacrifices his own life for her. Allegedly. I feel like, allegedly, allegedly. Uh, I think, I think, like, he, like, starts off stern. But I think he, he had a, he had a gentle heart. Uh, and who knows? Bronn has yet to reveal his gentle heart. But... Six more episodes of Game of Thrones as of this recording. Plenty of time to expose Bronn's gentle heart to a White Walker. <laughs> okay. Well, is that another uh, take that you have that Bronn will also die? I hope not. I think it'd be great if Bronn lived. But I, I think also if the show is looking to just like kind of like slaughter large swaths of characters just to kind of like uh, really raise the stakes of the white walker war i think he's expendable in that way um but i also like the idea of like Bronn being kind of this cockroach of westeros so i could see it going either way yeah i'd like to see Bronn end up with all of the lannister gold that's left i feel like that he should be <laughs> yeah. the one person that is able to uh, continue to eat the fruits of the lannister tree i'd like to see both you know Tyrion and Bronn both make it through the series and you know if uh if this like uh fan fiction alliance marriage between Tyrion and sansa holds for the end of the series or something like that and they're like in charge of westeros or whatever uh that I would love to see them give uh, Harrenhal to Bronn because Harrenhal oh, is cursed. This, it's cursed, but I feel like if anyone is going to be able to reverse the curse of Harrenhal, I think Bronn's got the luck for it. So I, that's what I want to see. Okay. So Roose Bolton is going to uh, finally get home to the Dreadfort with Walda Frey in tow uh, for the first time. And yes. uh, we have a reunion with Ramsey Snow. Yeah, I love I I, I like Ramsey when he is like in his like fake polite mode Mm -hmm. where he he meets Walda Frey and immediately he's just like, oh, such a pleasure, mother. And just like gives her a big hug. And she's like, oh, it's such a pleasure to meet you, too. I hope you never feed me to dogs. Mm -hmm. Uh, Of course, he shall feed her to dogs at some point down the line. Uh, But in this moment, I think that just uh, Ramsey Snow and like his uh, his his faux manners. It's a it's a funny look for him yes uh also ramsey and Locke are being best friends like yeah i had completely forgotten about that because yeah. i think this is the only little you know i think this is about all we're ever going to see with the two of them together uh but it makes so much sense because Locke sucks worst so of course bromance. He, yeah of course he's he's buddy yeah i think is this the worst bromance in uh in game of thrones history <laughs> it's got to be high on the list very high on the list i'm yes. sure that we can come up with something i mean uh craster didn't have any bros right I mean, no bros to speak of. I had 99 sons. Don't forget about that. (laughs) Maybe Craster and the Night King were bros. Who knows? Yeah. So Roose Bolton is says to Ramsey, hey, where's the prize? Where's Theon? Let's get him out here. And then we start to see that Roose has uh, some disappointment in how Ramsey handled the Theon situation. Yeah, the fact that Ramsey went around just like flaying and dismembering Theon doesn't sit well with Roose, who wanted to hang on to Theon and use him as a bartering uh, chip to to, tr- to trade with the Greyjoys so that they could get Moat Kaelin back. Um, Roose says that he had to sneak himself into his own 
kingdom. Like he had to, he had to like uh, ferret himself through Moat Kalen somehow. I'd love to hear the story yeah. about how all of these uh, Roose Bolton bannermen and how Roose and Walda Frey yeah, Walda. snuck. How did they do it? How did they sneak past Moat Kalen? They even have like their banners out when they're riding back to the Dreadfort. So thereby hangs a tale. I can't imagine that Roose's disguise of just having like the mildest of shaggy beards uh, was enough to get him into the north. But who knows? Perhaps. Yeah. I'm assuming they must have sailed around Mo Kalen. Yeah, maybe they I don't know. Yeah, they were just able to like travel by map as so many of the people on, <laughs> on Game of Thrones seem to be able to do. Yeah. OK, so we find out that uh, Theon was flayed a bit, just a little bit by Ramsey. Roos is not happy. And then he says, well, Theon was going to be a valuable hostage. He was a uh, negotiating chip for us to try to get Balon Greyjoy to end up getting his forces out of Moat Kaelin and uh, Ramsey says, well, look, he didn't want to negotiate for him. He's like, what? You send terms to Balon Greyjoy? I know. And like, it, this is a, it's really great to see these two characters together finally on the, on the rewatches, Roos and Ramsey, because they're, you know, again, like the idea of like awful fathers and, uh, and their relationships with their children, like very much in play within the Bolton household, except that Ramsey's also a piece of shit. Uh, but I, I like how Ramsey's like, why are you mad at me for doing all of this? Why are you mad at me? Like you, I was in charge of the dread force. You, you, you left me in charge. I don't understand why this is a problem. I I don't know why you're mad about me flaying people. We've been flaying people for hundreds of years. It's literally on our banner. And then Roos cuts him down. He's like, yeah, it's on my banner. You're a snow. You're not a Bolton. And, you know, really quickly establishing the uh, the, the tension between these two. Mm-hmm. And so Ramsey's like, no, 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 check this out. Check this out. So uh, Reek, uh, get in here. And he tries to have this demonstration of, oh, watch this. Uh, you think that, the, oh, well, I screwed up. Well, now look, he'll shave me and won't even slit my throat. And then I'll really try to antagonize him. And he still won't even slit my throat. He can shave you. Yeah, he's a great barber. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> right. If it, Ramsey is like, no, uh, Theon was our enemy. But uh, look, I'm telling you, Reek is our friend. He's going to be so useful. Yeah. The barber of House Bolton is in the house or in the fort, as it were. Uh, and yeah, he really proves the point when he says like, oh, hey, sorry, Reek. I don't know if you heard, but yeah, Rob Stark's dead. Uh, it's kind of our fault. My dad stabbed him through the heart. How do you feel about that? And like, again, to the point that there's still some Theon hanging out in Reek. Uh, he holds like the knife to, to Ramsey's throat for like a little bit longer, uh, but ultimately just goes back about his, his business of, of shaving him. And Roos seems impressed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess so. Ramsey tells Roos and look, I'm telling you, Reek will never betray us, which is not exactly true. Yeah, he will absolutely eventually betray you. But like, you've got still like, like, you know, almost, uh, almost like what? 
two seasons of that, uh, you know, of, yeah. of a very loyal reek. So like, right. I don't know. Right. So we're, we're worth the money for now. Yeah. Uh, so then we see Ruth says, okay, uh, here's what we're going to do, uh, that he gets Theon to, or reek to admit, okay, I didn't really kill the Stark kid. So let's go send Locke to go look for them because he's going to go look for Jon Snow at the wall. I like that. He is asking, uh, who is Jon Snow? Who is Jon Snow? In a colorful indeed. Way. Yes, yes, yes. WTF is Jon Snow is how I have it in my notes. <laughs> uh, so Locke is going to, he's going to be sent to, uh, to Castle Black because maybe they know something about what's going on with Brandon Rickon. And that will be a one way ticket for Locke. I guess he'll get a little bit further. You know, he'll, he'll get beyond the wall, but he will be gone in just a few episodes. And indeed, his search for Bran Stark will uh the those chickens will come home to roost bolton uh as i believe as i believe that uh i forget exactly what happens i, I think is it bran warging into hodor and then breaking Locke's neck is that what happens i think right uh so mission kind of accomplished you found him you just didn't bring him back and you died it's also great that ramsey says hey john snow uh he's a half stark himself so he could be a threat down the road and uh, yes yeah, truer words were never spoken for ramsey bolton yeah, nice, right? Like setting up that rivalry. I think that that's great. Like I, I think you always want to see, like especially for the characters who end up getting killed off, uh, any like kind of early sign that they're, you know, an early moment is going to connect with the way that their story ends. I think that that's always fun to see. That always indicates at least that if if the the writers of Game of Thrones didn't have like the full plan in place, then at least they had some of these ideas in place. And knowing that Ramsay's demise is going to come about because he's going to lose in battle against another bastard uh and just to have that kind of set up and teased here i think is is really cool we also get ramsey snow he gets dispatched to mo Kalen, and roos is like uh maybe uh take reek with you uh he could be useful but I, i'm sure it was just that like take this disgusting uh stinking pile of meat out of here i don't want to leave him here you have to yeah. take care of him yeah he's moldy <laughs> all right oldie kaylin so Tyrion is heading to there's some sort of like a wedding rehearsal breakfast uh that's going on and varus pulls Tyrion aside and says hey just gotta let you know that your sister knows about shay and Tyrion is like you know big deal if my father finds out we'll just tell him that i had to talk to something and this is very important that varus tells Tyrion, i won't lie for you if yeah. Tywin Lannister asks me a question, I will tell him what I know because I don't have a brother that's going to defend me. I, I don't have a royal name. If I get called on the carpet, I am going to sing. And I think this helps explain why we see Varys testify against Tyrion later in the season. I think absolutely. And I, I think even more, you know, there's going to come a moment later on in the show where Tyrion is going to describe Varys as like, there's nobody in the world he trusts more. And I think that's because Tyrion knows what to expect from Varys. I think that actually when you understand the secret of Varys, he's actually a fairly easy person to predict that he is only going to do what is uh, he overall, he wants to do what's good for the realm, but he is only going to make 
make moves if he is 100% sure that he is going to be safe, unless he's going to really stick his neck out because it's the only play he has left. Uh, and I think that that's why Tyrion respects Varys so much. It's like, even in a moment like this, even though this is shitty for Tyrion, where Tyrion's like, no, I want you to lie. I can't. Like, you got to protect Shay. I think that he has to understand, if not now, then eventually, why Varys can't do that. Because Varys has to, Varys has to do Varys, right? Like, Varys has to, has to stay his course. Uh, and I think that has been one of the, the clearest things for me on the rewatch is just how steady and even the line for Varys has been. He is an easy character to track once you just fundamentally understand who he is fundamentally. Um, as like disappointing as like the Littlefinger arc has kind of been in retrospect, knowing where he's going. I think that the Varys one has been very satisfying for me. Yes. Varys also lets Tyrion know a reminder that remember your father said he's going to hang the next whore he finds in your bed. Have you ever known your father not to keep his word? And right. so this is sort of the thing that makes Tyrion say, okay, look, I got to get rid of Shay. This is Varys is right. I got to get her out of here. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. It's about time. Yeah. Royal breakfast time. Mace Tyrell is bringing, you know, this big uh, pimp cup for Joffrey. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, welcome to the to the party, Mace Tyrell, even though I, I believe that we had uh, said last week we didn't think that Mace would be invited to the wedding. Uh, he just get put in his place a few times, especially mm. by his own mother. Yeah. And so Tyrion has this great big book that he gives to Joffrey and uh, Joffrey is just not a uh, little, uh, you know, little jerk about this for the first time ever <laughs> when uh, upon receiving it. I don't know if Joffrey had like a master plan, but he's like, oh, OK, that's good. Uh, that's, uh, that's good. And then he's on his he's on his best behavior. Right. It's like he it's like he had three naps before this breakfast. Like mm -hmm. they like real like they really rested him well. Uh, like maybe they let him like butcher a cat before breakfast. Like he just seems like he's very, very even. Uh, as you said, like just like the, the nicest we have ever seen Joffrey, the fact that he is able to to express some level of gratitude and kindness towards his uncle and then in, enter the Valyrian sword yeah. and just like little shitty Joffrey just returns immediately. Tywin presents him with the Valyrian steel sword and he's swinging it around like Star Wars kid and he's just <laughs> going crazy. Then, he's like Anakin, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, just very petulant. I love how he crowd sources the name of the sword. Like, I need a name. Anyone? Yeah. Like it's an improv yeah. show. I know. <laughs> yeah. And it's, I think the, the third suggestion, he just like seizes on that. He, he loves Widow's Whale immediately. Like he was getting some good names. He should have really heard them out for a little while. Yes. Don't be so, so hasty. Widow's Whale isn't such a winner that you got to lock in on Widow's Whale immediately. Somebody yelled out Terminus. Oh, really? Yes. I watched with the caption on. Like, what? Terminus. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Well, uh, maybe uh, that would have foreshadowed that Valyrian sword winding up in the hands of a Then. 
<laughs> Maybe. He's like, yeah. yes, widow's whale. And then yeah. he takes it and it just uh, slices the book into a million pieces. Nobody says anything. <laughs> no. Yeah. Oh, man. I mean, I don't know. Uh, it's uh, it's great. It's just, you know, we're, we're losing Joffrey in this episode. We're only going to see him in one more episode and it's going to be uh, full, like fully dead Joffrey Baratheon. So it doesn't really count. It's just the show is just like milking it here. They are just doing classic Joffrey. Oh, it's so it's so good. He talks about how like every time I use this sword, it's going to be like cutting off Ned Stark's head again. It's like you didn't do that. You don't know. You don't know what that was, what that felt like. Mm -hmm. You just called it into action, you idiot. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. He's just the worst. And it's so good. The show just never has anyone quite like Joffrey after this. So you really just got to soak in the moments that you have with him left because he's such a scoundrel. He's such an awful, awful kid. Yeah. And then we see Tyrion back with Shay, who's in his quarters and uh, he's like, nope. He's giving her the Heisman and he says, look, you got to stop. You got to get out of here. Our friendship can't continue. I'm a married man. And she's like, what are you talking about? You're being crazy. Yeah. And so, like, I think, you know, as we were trying to track how the Shea betrayal comes to light, it's it's all tracking rather well, I think, at this point. First of all, uh, Cersei is going to narc uh, to to Tywin. She's going to, you know, in the scene that we just left, the breakfast scene, she is going to, like, point out Shea to her father. And he's going to say, bring her to the Tower of the Hand before the wedding. So already, like, that's in place. Um, and then here, with the way that Tyrion breaks up with Shay and with Shay already suspecting that Tyrion was trying to to like buy her you know her way out of here like to basically like bribe her to leave and now that he's being explicit about it and in Tyrion's mind he is being uh like like kind through cruelty right like I think that right. this is not easy for him this is not something he wants to do but he doesn't think that there's another tactic yeah. that's gonna work it's Arya and Nymeria all over again Exactly. He's throwing stones at her head, except they are like uh, stones that are actually like gems and rubies that will buy her a sweet Pentos penthouse. Uh, but alas, she is going to interpret it the way that she's going to interpret it. And it makes a lot of sense from her perspective, I think. Uh, you know, certainly for like it's very in character for for Shay, who's like kind of narrow minded uh, and only sees thing only sees things one way and really does not have a lot of reasons to see this in sort of like the 4D chess move that it is. So, Josh, uh, let me put you on the spot here a little bit, and maybe you know this and maybe you don't. So we're going to see Tyrion tell Bronn, put her on the ship. Later on in the episode, Bronn is going to say, no, she got on the ship. Nobody followed me. I'm, uh, I'm telling you, she's there. So what ultimately ends up happening, because we know Shay will ultimately come back and testify against Tyrion and ultimately will end up in the affirmation tower of the hand did she not get on the ship did Braun already get paid off to bring her to tywin instead of uh do Tyrion's bidding do we know what happened here um if we so i don't i don't remember it very well okay. another another reason why we're, we're going through the rewatch the scene that i remember that's coming up is there's going to be like the final uh like the final interaction between uh Tyrion and Braun for several seasons where it's going to be clear that like he's now you know he's like fully team lannister and all of that and i I don't remember the specific details of that scene as to whether or not Bronn is like 
Yeah, I lied to you. I'm sorry. They already got to me first. Uh, but we'll get to that scene in, you know, an episode or two, I think. Okay. I mean, it's also possible that she got on the boat and then they weren't letting any boats leave because of what happens at the Purple Wedding. And that's right. why yeah, exactly. she ends up having to stay in King's Landing. So uh, it was just something call. to uh, watch out for in sort of the timeline of events as we're trying to figure out how does Shay ultimately end up with Tywin. At this point, though, I'm fully satisfied with, uh, with Shay's betrayal. Like, I think that from her perspective, that I mean, like, from, from her point of view, why she betrays Tyrion, why she does what she does, I think that all of that track has been laid. So I'm, I'm fully content with, with all of that. Okay. So we see Stannis here, and maybe this might be the one area in the episode where we start to drag a little bit on Dragonstone. Yeah, drag is right. Uh, but I mean, I think even, even this scene, there are some things about it that I enjoy the Dragonstone sequence, certainly the, the weakest, uh, stuff of the episode. But knowing what's gonna happen with Melisandre and Shireen and, you know, Stannis and, and his wife talking about their, their daughter and all of that, like all of these dynamics here in play, uh, you know, starting this Dragonstone, ep- uh, sequence off with, um, you know, sacrificial burning, which is gonna be Shireen's fate as well. Uh, so like all of this stuff is, is good on the rewatch, I think. Uh, but is it, you know, the best stuff of the episode? Yeah. By no means. It's definitely the worst. I like that Stannis is trying to get his groove back and is sort of like back to playing the hits where, you know, the first episode that we see Stannis, the season two premiere, that's when they're, you know, they're back to burning people at the stake. And it's like, right. okay, all right. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, Salise's brother, this is how we're going to really kickstart Stannis 2.0. Let's burn some more people at the stake. Come on. Yeah. See you later, Axel Florent. Uh, the coolest name of the most, like, you know, unimportant character in Game of Thrones. Like, for, for just like a total NPC, I think he's got the best name going. Mm-hmm. Axel Florent. Yeah. Like, that guy is a, like a true rock star name. Yes. Uh, do you feel like, is that a subtle Axel Rose acknowledgement here in The Lion and the Rose to have ah. a character named Axel? And uh, Florent is, you know, only a hop, skip, and a jump to flower. Yeah, and I also thought, yeah, that's good. Oh, that's good. I was thinking Axel Foley, and I was thinking of uh, Lord Florent of House Beverly Hills. Uh, Sir Florent, perhaps. Um, no, that's good. I think that's right. That that feels that feels like a good shout out. I think that that's got to be uh, that's got to be a thing, unless it comes from the book. I don't remember. From the book. <laughs> Take me down to the Paramore City. <laughs> That'll be later. That'll be season five. Yes. 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 Okay. Uh, Stannis at dinner and uh, really we see uh, the lady Salise uh, is uh, chewing up the scenery uh, she, like she may have during the siege of Dragonstone. Just, somebody cut her mic off. Yeah, she's like, have you ever had grilled seagull? It's real good. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah. And like even Melisandre's kind of like, I don't want to talk right now. I kind of just want to eat my shitty meat. I just want to eat the spoiled meat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we do hear a little bit about Melisandre's background, which I always think is fascinating because we know so little about it. And she talks about how, you know, uh, have you ever been truly hungry? Uh, Melisandre says, uh, yes, uh, she did. She had, you know, had it really tough at one point. Uh, and then Salise goes back to uh, Shireen uh, that she's got some big problems and uh, she's a spoiled little rotten girl. 
Uh, who is more spoiled, uh, Shireen or the meat that they are eating for dinner that evening? Hmm. Probably would, the meat. Gotta be the meat. Gotta be the meat. Because we find that Shireen is not actually, uh, you know, a rotten person at all, despite what Salise is saying about her. And so we see Stannis, great dad Stannis, dad of the year, says, uh, I believe he won an award for that. Yes. <laughs> and so, so Salise is like, uh, you know, we should, uh, she needs the rod. She needs to be beaten. And Stannis says, no, don't do that. Yeah, no, he, he's out on that. Yeah, Stan is best dad on Game of Thrones until he really wasn't. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's uh, Salise that says, uh, maybe the Lady Melisandre could speak with her. And like Melisandre seems like scared to do it, right? Like she seems like she's like kind of reluctant to talk to Shireen when she's uh, when, when Salise says that. Yeah, and I I wonder again if it's just like another thing that she has seen in the fires. Like, has she seen Shireen in the fires? In the fires, uh, is that something that she knows is going to happen but doesn't have the context for it? Uh, I don't think that we ever get any kind of clarity on that. But just as my own like little fanfic, I think that that uh, that connects decently well. Um, also, when Melisandre says that she knew nothing but true hunger until the Lord of Light found her, play me the tiniest violin in the world because that was like the first ten years of her five hundred year old life. Like she's had it. <laughs> Really good for 490 for a while. years. For a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So we have the scene where Melisandre comes in to see uh, Shireen. Uh, Shireen did not like hearing uh, Uncle Axel uh, get burned at the stake. Uh, and that Lady feels fair. <laughs> Lady Melisandre tries to spin it like, well, women scream during childbirth. And uh, that turns out to be a good thing. He's like, yeah, but they're not a pile of ash after. Right, right, yeah. I think Shireen, uh, calling it the way that it is. Like, that makes sense to me. She's the voice of reason it, here. It, Shireen is, like, the, by far and away the most reasonable Baratheon that we have ever encountered. I'm, like, including Robert and Renly in the mix, too. Mm-hmm. Very level-headed Shireen. Yeah. Although, Melisandre does say something interesting where they're talking about the seven gods. She says, no, there's not seven gods. There's only two. There's a god of light and a god of darkness. Josh, uh, do you feel like that is that the true way it is in the uh, Westerosi Planetos universe where there's a Lord of Light? And then we see in Bravos, the Faceless Men, uh, they really are followers of sort of the uh, the God of Darkness. Right, do you feel like it, it, and and again there's so much you know fire and ice do you right. feel like that it, it, it is that uh consistent with the worldview that we've come to know in the show yeah i think it'll always be ambiguous like i don't think that we will ever see Valor. you know like if uh and and if so man they better cast that really perfectly like they got to get sir anthony hopkins on board like they got to get someone incredible to play the the lord of light uh i don't expect that that is going to happen i think in the last season i i what i've heard the rumor is that the next to last episode they're going to spend with the, the 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 lord of light and then the lord of darkness just sitting on the beach somewhere like hanging out across the narrow sea yes <laughs> i've read i've read those rumors as well oh god shoot me now <laughs> could Please be good no it could be good don't do that yeah. anyone who is listening at hbo please stop um 
Yeah, I think, though, it, it's consistent with the theme of the show of uh, a song of ice and fire. Uh, you know, it's we know that there are dragons. We know that there are white walkers. We know that they're colliding. Um, the the power of the Lord of Light is to, you know, we've seen uh, we've seen Melisandre and Thoris of Mir bring people back from the dead. And we have seen uh, the Night King have the same ability, although it is like a very dark perversion of that ability of, you know, just like bringing someone back in completely soulless ice monster form. Um, So, yeah, I think it tracks. I just don't think it'll ever be like specifically honed in on unless that God awful episode we just pitched comes to to light. (laughs) Yeah. Across the narrow sea. Uh, F that. Let's go check into what's going on with Bran and the crew. And we start off where Bran is working in the summer and he's, you know, eating a deer and it was because he's so hungry. Yada, yada, yada. Um, but we ultimately see, uh, where they have reached a, uh, a weirwood tree. We're, that summer has uh, gone out ahead and found a weirwood tree. And so we end up going and having Bran connect to the tree turnet. Yes, he's uh, he's got uh, uh, tree bars on his Wi-Fi signal, which is pretty good north of the wall. Uh, and he is able to have a little bit of a vision uh, where he is going to see uh, some things that I think are relatively compelling. Like we're going to see dragons over King's Landing. That's not really uh, I mean, we've seen dragons in or near King's Landing now with like the dragon pit and everything in season seven. But I don't think that we've had that exact image yet. Uh, mm-hmm. to my, to my memory. Um, certainly we're gonna, we're gonna see like a quick flash of the Night King here, which I don't think, uh, I think people probably in watching this were like, whoa, what's that? Uh, the first time watching through, and I'm sure that there was like a lot of analysis on that, but we wouldn't have had like a Night King to identify. Uh, and that's just gonna come two episodes from now is actually seeing that guy for the very first time. But I guess technically first appearance of the Night King is here in the Lion in the Rose. Um, and then we're gonna, we're gonna see the Iron Throne covered in snow very similar to the vision that danny had at the house of the undying and rob for me that confirms it to me that i think that we have to see that on the show in actuality uh because i think bran who we've established in some of his visions in other episodes coming down the line um you know like he sees the wildfire explosion that Given the context, do you think maybe it's a flashback to the Mad King? But the way that the episode plays out in uh, the season finale of season six, uh, that we know that that's going to be the wildfire explosion that destroys the Sept of Baelor and the surrounding area, that Bran has like some ability to see a little bit into the future as well. So I think he's seeing the future here. I think that he is seeing the Iron Throne covered in snow. I think that that has to be an image that we actually actively get on Game of Thrones before this whole show is over. Yeah, definitely agree that we're going to see that here in the final season. Uh, If we get to the final season, that we will see that. Why aren't we going to get to the final season? (laughs) I don't know. What happens between now and then? I understand not getting to the books, but oh God, like, are we not going to make it to 2019? (laughs) Uh, Look, uh, I just don't take anything for granted, Josh. Oh my God. Oh, geez. (laughs) I can't continue. End the podcast. Yeah. I need to cope. I need to cope. (laughs) Oh, Oh God. (laughs) I'm I'm very frightened right now. Winter is coming. Oh, that's all I'm going to (laughs) say. Oh no. Oh no. Okay. Oh God. Okay. All right. 
Uh, but summer is here right now. You know, let's get just don't, to the royal don't wedding. Spend too much time in summer because then you're going to be stuck yeah, in royal summer wedding forever. time. Okay, yeah, so yeah, yeah. Uh, we see the the whole big ceremony uh, really goes off without a hitch. Unlike the uh, Tyrion and Sansa affair, uh, nothing out of the ordinary with the blessed affair, the union of Joffrey and Marjorie. Joffrey is just pure unfiltered Joffrey and like with this kiss I declare my love and just like with this false bravado just like pulls her in for a big kiss that in her mind you got to imagine Marjorie is just doing the biggest mental eye roll that she can possibly muster right I mean Joffrey's not like a bad looking guy or anything like that he's just a horrible person he's a horrible person (laughs) yeah and also he's a teenager and she's like a woman so this is not great yeah what is the uh portmanteau for joffrey and marjorie uh for people that were shipping them uh joffrey jargery jargery yeah jargery sounds like something you get charged with mm-hmm. like you're you're guilty of jargery i think that's the crime uh that you're committing when you're actually shipping joffrey and marjorie yeah. i think it's also when you have a cgi character in the movie that nobody likes isn't it? that's very <laughs> no, jargery no. no that's jar jargery oh <laughs> yeah yeah. Okay, so we are going to bounce around the wedding. It's really all uh, one sort of big scene. I don't know. There's probably some time jumps uh, here and there, but for the most part, we just stay at this one locale the rest of the show. And so uh, we'll see Tywin and Olena walking around. And Lady Olena is really, she loves the spectacle. What a great royal wedding. All Tywin can talk about is how garish the whole thing is. Yeah, he's, it's so expensive. And it's just like, it's too much. And, uh, you know, the, the, the finances are tight. Finances mm-hmm. are tight. Uh, the Queen of Thorns is going to bring up the Iron Bank. And Tywin's like, oh, Iron Bank. We'll be fine. I'm fine. I'm not worried about the Iron Bank. I'm fine. She's like, you are not fine. Like, you are definitely secretly super worried about the Iron Bank. Yes. Is this the first mention of the Iron Bank in the show? I'm not sure if it's the first mention, but of course we're going to see them in uh, in this season. So I think it's the first mention of them this year. Okay. All right. Uh, Tyrion and Bronn are going to have that conversation that I referenced earlier about Shay. Bronn is going to say, look, she's gone. She's on the boat. What else can I say? Right. So TBD on exactly how all that played out. I, I really don't remember it very well, uh, but I think we'll we should we should be able to like get an answer on the bronze side of it. And if we if we find out that it's not it's not him, I think that the show, uh, you know, I think we could just assume your theory. I liked your theory that the that the ships were stopped. Um, you know what I love in this in this moment? So like Tyrion and Bronn kind of like break away and Tyrion's hanging out with Podrick now. Uh, and he like it's just like kind of just like by you know, happenstance walking alongside the Red Viper and the Red Viper goes, hello. And Tyrion goes, oh, hello. And the Red Viper's like, no, not you. And he mm-hmm. wasn't like talking to Tyrion at all. And it's just, it's the girl who was doing like the Mirini is not that he and uh, Alaria had sexual intercourse with at the brothel. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I just love that. He's like, oh yeah, let's talk. Let's schmooze. Like that was really fun the other night. I'd love to see you here at the wedding. Just a great moment. Love the Red Viper. Big fan. So, Big fan. 
Josh, then uh, we're going to see Lady Olena with Sansa and uh, she comes over and she talks about the, you know, the horrors of, you know, uh, a man dying at a wedding in terms of uh, Rob Stark. Of course, a great little nod to what she is about to pull off here in this episode. You know, I watch for it. I feel like I never quite see when she takes the stone off of the necklace. Yeah, I was I was having a hard time focusing on the dialogue because I was really just looking to see her pull that move off. Uh, and the only thing and I, I should have gone back and watched it a little closer to to see. Uh, but like there's a stone that's missing from Sansa's necklace at the end of that conversation. Uh, it's like the one on like the far uh, her upper left. Uh, us looking at it looks like it's on the right side of the screen like that stone is now missing from the necklace. So somewhere in there, the Queen of Thorns is taking that thing. Who's the better sleight of hand artist, Lady Olena or Huel, who works for Saul Goodman? <laughs> no one's better than Huel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, Joffrey and Marjorie are you know, sitting there. Joffrey looks kind of bored. Uh, the people playing Reigns of Castamere. He seems to have like a big like bowl of change that he's able to throw at people yeah, at different wow. times during the wedding. What a metaphor, huh? Jeez, <laughs> I mean, this asshole. <laughs> yeah, he's not a Sigur Ross fan. Like HBO is uh, shelling out that Sigur Ross money to get these guys to make a cameo. And Joffrey can't even appreciate appreciate it come on mm-hmm. come on all right marjorie is going to make a big announcement that they are going to give all of the leftovers uh not another hbo uh box oh, set please to give the leftovers to all the poor people they get to eat the leftovers Oh, my God. If uh, hanging out in Flea Bottom is the only way to watch a hypothetical fourth season of The Leftovers, I'm in. I'll go. You want a fourth season? I don't know. I'd just be kind of curious. Yeah. It ended perfectly. It ended perfectly. Yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't be mad at it. Leave well enough alone. I mean, I wouldn't be mad at it. Like Mm -hmm. if it came back and they had like a really good idea. Like, yeah, I'd, I'd always be down to spend some time in that world. Okay, they'll just remake it in 20 years. That I'm not so excited about. <laughs> All right. Uh, I loved the Red Viper uh, staring down Loris across the room. Yeah. He's like, mm, I've heard about you. And Loris is like kind of nodding back at him. He's like, yeah, I heard about yeah. you, too. Did he hear uh, about him or does the Red Viper just also have incredible gaydar? Yeah, maybe that could be it. That could be it. Uh, but I feel like the Red Viper seems like he's pretty plugged into the to the Westeros gossip. Like, it seems like he knows what's up in the Seven Kingdoms. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I feel like I feel like uh, he's got to know what's up with with Loris. And uh, man, that would that would I, I don't know what the, the name you want to you want to put together for uh, Oberyn and Loris. Loberyn. <laughs> I would I would ship that. Yeah. Although going back to last week with Oliver at Littlefinger's brothel, like I don't know if he necessarily said he was on the menu, but, you know, uh, the Red Viper was able to, uh, you know, suss it out pretty quickly. Yeah, I think he just gets what he wants, right? Like he mm-hmm. says, I want it my way. So um, and then the scene here with uh, with Jamie, like sneaks up on Loris and uh, and they talk about how, uh, oh, my God, uh, we're going to be Your brothers. Sister looks great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She looks so good. So does yours. I like uh, the line from Jamie about how like, oh, both of our dads seem really excited about it. Maybe they should marry each other. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hey, by the way, Loris, I'm going to kill you. Like he really like just like threatens Loris. 
Morris immediately goes from six to midnight on that. Uh, and he's talking about how, like, if you if you marry my sister, she'll murder you in your sleep. If you are, uh, you know, able to impregnate her before your death, she will kill the child as well. The good news is none of that's going to happen because you will never marry her. And maybe Loras Tyrell's single best moment in all of Game of Thrones is him tapping Jamie Lannister on the chest and going, yeah, neither will you. Yeah, sick and walking burn. away. A sick Mic burn. drop. Yeah. Flower drop. <laughs> right. Rose drop. Right. I, I guess, you know, there is some talk of Jamie and Cersei uh, finally getting hitched, I guess, right? Towards, uh, you know, once it's just Cersei in charge, Tywin's out of the picture, right? Are, aren't they at least considering that? Yeah, in the final uh, season, or what's it called? Uh, season seven, the final season we've seen so far. I, I, she talks about it a couple of times. She's like, closer than uh, yeah, Loras like, and Cersei. Yeah, she's like Targaryens get married. Well, I mean, Loras and Cersei are legitimately engaged. I don't think that Jamie and Cersei get engaged. Mm-hmm. So, and also, like, I'm not, I'm not putting any stock in the idea that Cersei and Jamie will get married in the final season. Okay, so. Lady Brienne, she comes up to Marjorie and she's really bad at doing the uh, the curtsy. Uh, Joffrey wa- was excited because he thought that she was the person that killed Renly. He was uh, going to he would have knighted her. I'm a big fan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but Brienne ends up uh, getting confronted by Cersei and uh, Cersei is uh, just all over the place at this wedding. She's a little drunk, probably, at this point. We know how much Cersei likes her wine. This is a happy day. This is a day where she is just, like, expressing all of the power that she has. She's going to flaunt all of that. Uh, and she's, like, going to call Brienne out. She's like, oh, yeah, I hear you love my brother. I hear you're in love with him. And Brienne's face kind of <laughs> like, is like, uh, what? Oh God. She's almost kind of like, oh, I never really thought about it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I guess you're right. I kind of do. Uh, and she and Jamie exchange a look from afar. Much healthier relationship for Jamie Lannister. I do hope that works out. Again, I don't expect it will. Yeah, but this is just really great. Windsor sees like, yeah, so uh, I hear that you're also in love with him. You love Jamie. Yeah. She's like, she's like what? Uh, no, no. <laughs> I have to go. <laughs> no, gotta go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cersei's um, just on the warpath yeah. here, right? Yeah, so, and then she goes and finds Pycelle. And Pycelle yeah. is... Just like pantses him. Yeah. And is like uh, about to uh, like have a, uh, v- a very uh, inappropriate conversation with a w- uh, guest of the wedding. And yeah. Cersei sends her away and then basically uh, tells Pycelle uh, what she thinks of him and how he is annoying her. And then yeah. also uh, that she tells him to go and tell the kitchen to give the leftovers to the kennels. Yeah. Feed the leftovers to the dogs. Uh, and uh, I, I know shout out once again to the late, great Don Malpietti. He would have loved a dog apocalypse joke right here. Mm-hmm. Uh, because That is something we certainly charted a lot on the leftovers podcast with Antonio and I. Yes. Is this something that would help prevent the dog apocalypse by uh, giving the dogs all of the leftovers from the wedding? <laughs> Make them happy. Yeah. No, I think that that would uh, only increase the odds of a dog apocalypse because suddenly it would Once be a sudden 
a sudden arrival of all of the of all the dogs are like, yeah, we got to be here for for all of your leftovers. They would take over the world of the leftovers. Okay, in short order. Yeah. All right. Uh, Sir Dantos is juggling a bit, and Joffrey again. He goes into his uh, pile of change and says, "Hey, gold dragon for whoever knocks my fool's hat off." Yeah. Dantos is like, "Oh no, I got to get out of here. I'm not. I can't risk being knocked unconscious right now. Yeah, I have. I have things to do." So he runs away. Okay. Another awkward moment with Oberyn and Hilarious Sand uh, with Tywin and Cersei. Although Tywin's a pretty good sport with uh, the Red Viper. He is. Uh, this is another great loaded scene because this is Alaria and Cersei facing off for uh, the very first time. But Cersei's ultimately going to be Alaria's undoing and not before Alaria is able to draw some significant blood against Cersei. So to have these two people uh, in the same moment together, it's 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 fun to watch knowing where they're going. Uh, but yeah, uh, the Red Viper is just like going to shade the heck out of Tywin Lannister here. Mm-hmm. And, and Cersei, too. He's like going to keep calling her like, oh, the former queen of uh, of Westeros. So nice to hang out with you because you're not the queen anymore. You suck. Yes. There's some talk of uh, Prince Doran and his uh, battle with gout, a rich man's disease. The rich man's disease, indeed. Yeah. So he's, he says, no wonder you don't have it to Tywin. And that's just another shot at uh, Tywin Lannister. Uh, he's, he projects wealth. But is he really that wealthy? This most powerful person in the country who boasts about so much wealth. Is, is it all is it all it's hyped up to be or is that some of that just a smoke show? Yeah. So Joffrey is also going to be saying there's too much amusement going on at this royal wedding. I think that Prince Harry also did something similar uh, at the uh, royal <laughs> wedding from this weekend. He wants to shut uh, down all the amusement, Josh. I uh, I like Joffrey here. Like uh, this is this is the closest that Joffrey has ever been to like you or me, I feel like where he's like doing like this very super serious shtick that is then leading up to what he thinks is like this really great joke. We use this setup and knock him down tactic on the podcast all of the time. <laughs> yeah. And so it's time to learn. And he brings out the minstrel show, the war of the five Kings, Joffrey, Renly, Stannis, Rob Stark and Balon Greyjoy. Yeah. And he's having dwarves play the part. And this is all, Really, to obviously, it's it's at least going to be partly motivated to really rile up Tyrion because Joffrey hates his uncle so much, uh, and it's a it's you know it's it's a really it's a it's a difficult scene to watch. Uh, like the crowd is loving it, but but the show very wisely kind of puts us in the perspectives of both Tyrion and Sansa, who have a lot of reason to feel very uncomfortable about this and very upset. Marjorie didn't love it either. She didn't love it either. <laughs> she's not a big fan. You know, this she's she's got, you know, she's close to this story as well. Uh, but I think like, you know, Tyrion obviously knows that this is like a personal insult towards towards him and, you know, his his height and everything like that, and just like a really despicable act on Joffrey's part. And Sansa is, you know, having to uh like see like a literalization of what happened to her brother according to the rumors. This just happened, so this isn't very good. Um, also like the storytelling doesn't feel very accurate. So just in terms of my storytelling sensibilities, I'm offended, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which is more accurate, this story that we see here in the minstrel show or the play that we're going to see Aria watch in Bravos. Ooh, good question. Um, I feel like, you know, a certain, 
like chronology and like a certain perspective is told uh, accurately to that perspective at the show that Arya will see later on. So I'll give I'll give the point to Arya. I think that whoever uh, whoever was the author of that play uh, is certainly a better creative director than Joffrey seems to be. I guess not not surprising that Joffrey, who commanded this play into existence, uh, is not exactly getting all the details right. And it did not feature the amazing acting of Lady Crane. Ah, Lady Crane. The Can't Meryl Streep of Bravos. Can't wait to have to talk about you. Uh, let's not dwell on the Lady Crane at all any further than we must. Okay. Uh, but the scene, the, the, one of the reasons why, like, this scene is, is really amazing, uh, is because it is so offensive and because that is so true to Joffrey and on his way out the, the door, uh, they really do a spectacular job of, like, really just showing the hideousness of Joffrey Baratheon. Uh, like, his final moments on earth are so despicable he died as he lived yes he did indeed <laughs> okay so he tells Tyrion that he has to take on the um, the uh, person playing joffrey i'm not really sure exactly how that was gonna work uh, yeah, he's like we got another costume like who is he gonna be i don't know i don't know i guess uh We'll we'll never find out. We'll never find out. <laughs> so, um, you know, uh, Tyrion with some very tepid burns for Joffrey says, uh, "No, well, you know, one taste of combat was uh, all it took." Like, oh, well, you know how it is. Uh, why don't you go out there and then uh, you can show, uh, you know, how brave you are. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, this is not helping Tyrion's case coming up here of just like publicly blasting Joffrey. It's not not a great idea. And he also like basically implies that uh, the the Joffrey actor who is humping the severed head of Rob Stark after his victory over the the King of the North actor, he uh, Tyrion implies that that man is if you go into battle against him, Joffrey, uh, he is he is going to do things to you that you are waiting to do tonight mm-hmm. yes yes if you lost your enough? virtue yes uh, in the minstrel show yeah <laughs> to say that publicly to the king of the seven kingdoms is unwise to say the least right and then so joffrey walks over and then pours his wine on Tyrion's head uh Tyrion is a good sport about the whole thing um Mace Tyrell uh, uh wants to give a speech also but we don't have, aren't able to get to that yet no, and Mace Tyrell is never going to be allowed to give a speech. <laughs> Ever. Ever. <laughs> yeah. All right. So now Tyrion is being tasked with being Joffrey's cupbearer. Who was Joffrey's cupbearer before this? I don't know, but that guy just got fired. Yes. Uh, he lost his title of being uh, the cupbearer. And Joffrey is like kicking the cup around. Bring me my goblet. And uh, tells Tyrion that he needs to kneel. Everybody is like very quiet and uh, really is just taking this all in. I have to imagine that most of the guests couldn't even hear what was being said. Uh, it's just uh, very awkward. Very awkward indeed. Uh, like... Only one person is going to get murdered at this wedding as opposed to the thousands of people who were killed at the Red Wedding. But everybody here is dying of awkwardness <laughs> at the very least. Like yeah. this is deeply discomforting. Um, 
when when Joffrey knocks the cup over and kicks it underneath the table and Tyrion goes down to find it and Sansa is the one who picks it up and in like the face of this incredibly cruel display of Joffrey's is teaming up with Tyrion and showing sympathy towards the person that she is legally married to. Uh, Rob, this is going to be the final scene between Sansa and Tyrion that we are going to get through seven seasons of Game of Thrones. Uh, now having gone through the whole Sansa Tyrion marriage through the, the time that we've had here towards the end of season three and now the very beginning of season four and this kind of gesture of like an alliance between the two of them here. What do you think? Like, do you think that we will end the show with these two like back in action together and like kind of having this sort of same like quasi professional, respectful relationship with each other? Like, do you think that that's a direction that we're going in with the show? I think it's a funny idea or a fun idea, but I don't think that uh, the show ends with Sansa and Tyrion back together. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say the opposite. I think it's gonna happen. Okay. I think it's gonna happen. I'm gonna, I'm just gonna plant the flag down. Think it's gonna happen. And one of us shall be right and one of us shall be wrong with the final six yeah. episodes. Look, I want a happy ending for both of those characters, but I'd be happy ish. Like it wouldn't be like super happy. <laughs> right. Right. So ultimately, uh, we will see one day eventually, hopefully. God, stop. We'll see what happens. We're going to be alive. We're going to be we're going to be OK. okay. All right. We're oh, see it. Hey, guess what? The pie is here. Uh, Marjorie <laughs> exclaims. And so uh, we bring out the pie, not a pigeon pie, but a dove pie that comes out. And so uh, Joffrey, that would be a great dessert. Are you kidding me? Like dove pie? Mm-hmm. It's just like dove chocolate baked into that huge ass pastry. Oh, wow. mm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, stomach aches for days. Jo- or, or worse. Uh, Joffrey or worse. Uh, cuts the top off. The doves fly out. And so, okay, let's get this pot, this cake served. And so Sansa and Tyrion uh, want to try to leave. And Joffrey is not having that. Uncle, where are you going? You're my cupbearer. Serve me wine. Hurry up. Uh, he's getting uh, a very dry throat from the pie. So he is brought more wine from this goblet. Now, this goblet is set up kind of close to Lady Elena. Yeah, so you think that this is where Elena poisons Joffrey? Yeah, I wonder if she got up during the whole bit with like the pigeons coming out of the pie. That was like her cue. Because I was looking for that, and it doesn't look like she does. Uh, I think that she's sitting for for most of that. I thought that she probably poisoned him shortly after she got the jewel from Sansa and walked back, and probably just like dissolved it in his cup there, mm-hmm. and it just like kind of like takes a little bit of time to to kick in uh, otherwise that would be like some really fast acting poison did we talk about this with marjorie if she is in on the plan or not does she know like whatever you do don't drink out of joffrey's cup she's going to be told later on i think in the series and she's going to be fairly surprised so i think she's out on it i don't think that she knows Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, because this is very risky. I mean, this is your, you know, uh, your pride and joy, Marjorie. I mean, the, w- w- she could accidentally uh, drink out of the wrong cup. Joffrey could like stick his tongue down her throat. You know, I think that there's a lot of th- different ways that she could accidentally end up getting some of this very toxic poison. Yeah, and then that's in uh, in a point in the column of maybe Lady Elena finds some way to to feed this stuff to him, like really close to the time that it acts, uh, mm-hmm. so that it could just like kind of happen. But I don't know. Yeah. The, 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 the mechanics uh, of it are a little confusing. 
I still think uh, it's a very fast acting poison. I think that at the point where, you know, he ends up drinking and then uh, unless it's something that you ingest and then the effects are very rapid. But I kind of feel like it's something that you drink and then, uh, you know, like very quickly that once it's in your system, this is what's happening to you. Regardless, Joffrey is going to start choking to death, and uh, there has never been a more gratifying moment on Game of Thrones. <laughs> yes. Uh, I, his final words are, it's nothing! Great final words for this stupid little idiot boy king. His penultimate words are, this pie is dry! Even better, if that had been his final words, what a fantastic way for him to die uh, this pie is dry and this guy is dying and it is tremendous. Oh yes. God, it's so gruesome. Yes. Olena yells out like, uh, help the poor boy. Uh, help the king, you idiots. <laughs> yeah, it's like, <laughs> it's like when Willy Wonka is calling for Oompa Loompas when people are like drowning in the river of chocolate. It's like, oh, please help them. You got to save them. Mm-hmm. He doesn't really care. Doesn't care. Doesn't really care. Right. And Let him die. And then we see uh, Jamie bursting in from the crowd. Uh, Cersei is very quick on the scene, but there is nothing that can be done for poor Joff as uh, blood comes out of his nose and he becomes a shade of purple. Yes, hence the purple wedding. Uh, yeah, blood comes out of his nose, then more blood comes out of his nose, oh, yeah. and it's just like coming out in like these terrible bursts. Uh, and it's it's so gross and it's so graphic, and it couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. Now. Josh, we see Tyrion looking at the cup. And again, all of this breaks so badly for Tyrion. Nobody knew Joffrey was going to be so horrible to him at the wedding. I guess it was a suspicion Joffrey would be horrible to him at the wedding since he's always horrible to him. But the very public shaming of Tyrion really helped this plan come together. Yeah, definitely. Definitely helps. And it doesn't uh, hurt that, you know, with his final act on Earth, Joffrey is wrong and he points at Tyrion as the guy who did it. And so that connects the dots for Cersei. Uh, So it all just plays so poorly in Tyrion's favor here. Uh, And I love that the final image of this episode is just like Joffrey's dead purple face And that I believe the very first thing we are going to see in the very next episode is the exact same image. It's like Game of Thrones itself, the entity that is this show, knew how badly we needed to see just how badly things went for Joffrey in the aftermath of the Red Wedding. Like This is like uh, the aloe treatment that we needed for that awful burn. It's just, it's done so well. We are, it's so rare that there is like a massive loss for the bad guys on this show. This really is, I feel like the first time that something absolutely utterly horrible has happened to the people that we really, really hate short of like Jamie getting captured and losing his hand. Uh, It's excellent. It's so good. Yes. So it is a tough way to go for Joffrey. What is this? The strangler they call this poison? I believe that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So uh, next time out, we'll pick things up in the wake of the loss of Joffrey. Anything else from this episode now that we've gone through it? Anything else from this episode? Um, 
No, other than like uh, there was spoiled meat featured in this episode mm-hmm. and we didn't make a tainted meat joke. So, yeah, uh, bad on us. Next time around, we'll get Next that time. one. Next time. We'll hit yeah. that one. And we even talked about Terminus. Like, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Missed opportunities. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, pour one out for Blue Sky Bob. Yeah, I have regrets. I have regrets. But other than that, no. Uh, second best episode of the show overall through 32 episodes, The Lion and the Rose. I wonder if that's a hot take. I think that this is easily a top 10 episode of the whole series. But to like have it above the reins of Casimir, is that a hot take? I don't know. But I think it's a better episode. And I actually think it's a better episode by a decent amount. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I-, I think that on the way back through, I think we definitely did explore that the reins of Casimir, you know, it's a long way to go for that red wedding which is excellent and still probably just like the single best sequence in in game of thrones uh but i think that the the the, oh man the royal wedding the purple wedding this whole back half of this episode is remarkable and a lot of the stuff leading up to it is very good too yes if anybody questions your take just say to them oh i'm sorry was old dario in the lion in the rose (laughs) that's a good point first dario in that episode (laughs) okay that's it that's a good point. Okay. That's a good you point. You can see your way yeah. out. Okay. Yes. 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 All right. Next week, we'll pick things up with uh, the demise of Sir Dantos and the appearance of Littlefinger and uh, so much more from the fallout from this wedding. Oh, yeah. Sir Dantos is going to like eat it, right? He's like going to get just an arrow straight to the face. Yeah, it's going to be rough. Yes. Poor guy. Uh, and that was exactly what Miranda said that she wanted to see have done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Eat the face. Yeah. Okay. Josh Wiggler, uh, great stuff in the coverage of the Royal Wedding. You've done it again. You could follow Josh on Twitter. He is at Round Howard. I'm at Rob Sesternino. Of course, uh, Josh has, is continuing the excellent coverage of Westworld season two on The Hollywood Reporter and also on post show recaps as well. Yeah, Joe Garfine is uh, back in action this week. Uh, the lovely Emily Fox filling in for her uh, on our recap of episode four of season two of Westworld. Joe and I will be uh, getting together shortly to talk about all things Shogun World. Very, very, very exciting stuff happening on Westworld. So look for that podcast to drop this week on Thursday morning. Okay. And again, thank you guys for checking this out. We'll be back next time for the season four, episode three recap. Take care, everybody. Have a good one. Bye. 